Well, good morning, Awakening Church. Oh, come on. I'm, I'm in my 20s still, so come on. You got to give me a little more than that. Good morning, Awakening Church. It is my honor and privilege to be here. My name is Joe Yarbrough, and I have the honor of being in charge of the student ministry department here from middle school to high school and also overseeing the worship department. Would you guys make some noise for the Breeze family leading us in worship today? And more, make some more noise because these people get not a lot of, of, of applause, but the people in the tech booth, make some noise for them. Because of them, they're able to have this awesome sound, have these awesome graphics, and also were able to help us launch our online campus. So good morning to everyone that's watching Awakening Online. I'm excited to be here. For you guys that are guests with us today, no, I'm not the lead pastor. Unfortunately, I'm over the legal limit that the CMA requires of tattoos. So they will not let me do that. No, I, am, I, I get to be the honor of serving under Pastor Kerry Bowman and his wife, Melissa, and their son, Zach, as well as on staff here as our outreach pastor. And they're taking some time to recharge for the fall because we have so many exciting things coming up. We have a few announcements here. And because they gave me a microphone, I get to plug some of my ministry stuff here. The first uh, thing, though, being is if you're a guest, welcome. I hope you guys uh, fill out a connection card after service. We have some if you need to. Fresh pens and such like that as we are social distancing and practicing CDC guidelines here. Um, also, if you're interested in giving, we are giving online and you can text that information. But for some of those people who are really missing the envelopes and giving checks and stuff like that, in the back, we also have giving envelopes back again with fresh pens. You can grab one yourself on the way out. Keep your pen, please. This is the one time we're letting you steal the pen from the place. So make sure you guys do that as well. We also have some awesome things coming up with the student ministry here. Uh, we are going to be launching this Tuesday our first ever watch party youth group. So we're going to be having the guys and the girls separated in homes, and we're going to be having temperature checks as well. We ask that you still come in your mask. And uh, the girls are going to be meeting at the Axines house, which are running in the back there. They're going to be having an awesome swim party. I was just over there the other day, and if you, if you want anyone that's going to enjoy, your middle schooler is going to enjoy, hanging out with, with Josh and Tiffany is, is a, a for sure thing. I showed up to their house the other day, and they had rented this 20-foot inflatable slide to go in their pool. And man, they decided, you got to go up there, Joe, all 300 pounds of you, got to go up there. And the first thing I did was just smack my back on there. I'm good now, I'm good. Um, we also going to have the guys in meeting at my house. If you want any of the informations and the addresses, please email joe at theawakening.church. Joe at theawakening.church, and we'll get you all the info, where to be, meeting times, and such like that. But who here can do me a favor? Who here can raise their hand and make some noise that they know that they have some blessings in their life because of God, huh? Come on, you make some noise for that. I'm excited to be bringing this message in two parts, and my message is called Circles. And uh, for all you guys that are panicking out there, I took geometry all the way up to my senior year. So this is not a geometry thing. I'm not very good at this. It's, it's, it's just a title. I had to warn some before, but I'm so excited to be here. And so there's so many things happening here at the church from the launch of our online, pro, uh, our online campus, the, these cool events going on. And there's so many things also in my life that I have to be thankful for. There's so many blessings and I... I, I know that out here there's so many blessings, and in today's climate, I know that I could use a little positivity. Out here, who can use some positivity, huh? People make some. So what I want to do is, uh, out here, if you guys have any blessings, I want you to shout them out. Shout out some blessings that are going on in your life. I want to hear them. Finding a new house. Finding a new house. That's awesome. Make some noise for that. Finding a new house. What else? Have a new job. New job. And today's come. That's awesome. 
Any other blessings? Grandkids. Grandkids. I know my mom's at home going like, yeah, holding my son right now. Just say, yeah. Any other ones? Youth pastor. Youth pastor. Oh, thank you. Yes. Well, for me, there's, there's so many blessings. And maybe when it comes to having an abundance of blessings in your life, maybe you're like me. For me, uh, this has been an up and down year. Uh, it, started, you know, it started rough, but recently it's been, it's been great. Me, I, I believe it or not, you, I'm, I'm up here in front of these very hot lights that make me very sweaty. Um, and all I'm thinking about is how, my, how bad are my pit stains. But just because I'm up here doesn't mean I'm a very outgoing person. Uh, my wife is the more outgoing person. She's a traveler. She wants to see the world. Uh, and this, I must love this woman a lot because she has gotten me on a plane way more times than I would like to. doesn't make sense. Something that weighs as much as a semi-truck is flying into the sky. just doesn't make sense to me. But she's the more outgoing person. I'm a homebody. So I was made for the quarantine. So I just get to snack and be home and watch whatever I want. This is amazing. I love it. You know, and my wife has just been stir crazy. I know a lot of people like that. I've been even getting a little stir crazy. But one of the things that I've been loving about this season is not just the, the, the alone time and be able to kind of reflect. There's been so many blessings in our life. My wife and I are in the process of uh, buying our first house. So we're really excited about it. Thank you. We're in the process of buying our first house. We, uh, we just celebrated our, our firstborn son, his first birthday on the 1st of July. And he's walking and talking and getting all the scars on his face. And we're trying to keep him pretty, but it's, you know, it's, it's a struggle. Um, for us as well, I, I, I bought in a couple new guitars, which has been great. I've been able to uh, take some time to follow a really ridiculous dream that my wife had of, of being a pro wrestler. And I started become, trying to be a pro wrestler. And yesterday, my wife and I had another blessing of we found out yesterday that we are going to be having another child and we are going to be having another boy in February. Two under two. You know how that goes. You know how that goes. And so maybe you're like me. When you have all these blessings, you look at that and you go, wow, God, when's the other shoe going to drop? <laughs> I'm such a pessimistic person that sometimes when so many things are going my way, I'm waiting for when's the bad going to happen. I'm always that person when somebody says they're going to do something for me or someone tells me like, yeah, this is going to happen. I go, what's the catch? I'm the worst person to take with any decision because I always love playing devil's advocate because I like to imagine the worst case scenarios. And the reason why I feel this way is because of the fact of it's not that I'm just really pessimistic and I don't believe in hope and faith in those things I do. It's the fact that there is an inevitable thing that comes with walking this walk that we do, whether we're believers in Christ or non-believers. Um, as one of my good friends who played in the band today, Greg England, has said, as he is a mortician, there's only two things in this world that are certain, death and taxes. But when it comes to the spiritual sense, the spiritual certainty will always be conflict. We'll never live a conflict-free life, especially when we say that we want to put our identity and our blessings and our whole entire life under the banner of Jesus Christ. There will always be conflict, not just conflict with ourselves and God, but conflict with friends, family members, other believers, all alike. And what I want to do in this series called Circles is, is I want to kind of reflect on conflict and conflict resolution, especially when it comes to being believers. In this world today, 
there is tons of conflict. You just have to open Facebook, or if you really want to get to the dirty, dirty, open Twitter. It's just a cesspool in there, dude. It's just crazy. I open my Twitter, and sometimes I throw my phone, and I'm like, I just don't want to touch it. I need to get some holy water and just hit that thing, you know? And so for me, this has been a big area in my life that my wife and I have worked on a lot, and it's a never-ending fight. And to tackle conflict resolution, I believe that we have to tackle the conflict and then tackle the resolution. You see, this world has tons of conflict. We look at an election year. We look at the issues going on with social justice. We look at all these different areas with this pandemic thing. And, and we can easily all say in here, there's conflict. That the world is not all roses and birds singing. And we can all agree that we need a resolution. And so many people are quick to share that they need a resolution without really coming up with a resolution. So how do we as Christ followers get to this resolution? How do we prep our homes for this? And when I mean our homes, I, I'm not, I don't just mean the homes we live in and our families, our, our, our family circle or our friend circle or our work circle. I mean our hearts. One of the most powerful scriptures I have to constantly remind myself of is in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, we know where the spirit of the Lord dwells. He dwells in the hearts of those who believe in him. And where he is, there's freedom. And I know ultimately, I want to be free. Because when I'm free, not only do I have peace, not only am I able to attack conflict, when I'm a free person, I'm a dangerous person when it comes to the enemy. Because when I'm free, I don't believe the lies that he tries to spread. I don't believe the conflict he tries to stir up. When I'm free, I'm free. Now, all of us have different versions of what free looks like, and that doesn't make any version right or wrong. For some of you guys, free could just be having that alone time and a cup of coffee and a good book. For some of you guys, it's you shirtless at a Leonard Skeeter concert and the wind just blowing only on you. More power to you. I also more side with you. That sounds awesome. But... What I want to talk about today is how we handle conflict and prepping our hearts for it. Second, the types of ways that we naturally want to attack conflict. And lastly, why, why we even have to handle conflict. Maybe some of you guys here avoid conflict like the plague. Like if I told you maybe that if you wore your mask, you wouldn't have conflict for a month, all of you guys would wear a mask 24-7. I, if this is you, these are some people that you might have. The first is how we handle conflict. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 7. And before we go into this here, I would like to, uh, I like to pray before we go into the Scripture because sometimes I've noticed in my life and reading Scripture over and over and even being diligent and doing my devotion that sometimes I just need to pray to God and say, even though I've read this before, God, and I know the context and I've, you know, I've cross-referenced that, God, let me read this with a fresh set of eyes and a fresh heart that I may learn something new from this. And so if you guys don't mind, I want to pray before we dive into God's word that we have that prayer. Let's have fresh eyes and a fresh heart as we talk into this. Amen? Lord Jesus, thank you for this time that we have together. God, as we dive into your word, we pray that you help us, Lord, to be able to hear you. And whatever it is right now, God, that you, you want to speak to us. Lord, whether it's something that we're dealing with right now in the forefront of our mind or something that we may have avoided or put on the back burner, God, speak to us through your scriptures so that we, God, we may be able, we may be able to 
to start afresh, and that we could start to grow just a little bit more, not in just knowing you, but loving you and loving other people. So with that, Lord, we pray these things. We thank you for this Sunday. We thank you that we're able to gather, whether it's in our homes, here in person, on our online campuses, on whatever avenue, God, you are there. And so speak to us, God. We ask this in your name. And all the church said, oh, come on. All the church said, you got the youth guy, so you're going to have to be a little bit louder, you know? I thought about bringing the candy out, throwing the candy, but then I was like, then the COVID thing, and then be like, oh, that's, that's the worst thing that can happen. Everyone gets sick because the guy threw candy out, you know? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. I'm reading out the ESV standard. And this is, a, this is about prepping our hearts for conflict. Now, before we go into this, you might have a different, you know, fighting style. How many of you guys have ever played, like, fighting games, like Street Fighter or, like, Mortal Kombat or something like that? Or maybe watched a boxing fight, you know? Uh, or a UFC fight. They had a UFC fight last night. Apparently, they have their own island now. What is happening in the world? And that's crazy. But there are different types of fighting styles when it comes to avoiding conflict. There's, there's fighters, and then there's people who just kind of run away. And... Uh, the reason I titled this series uh, that I'm going to be talking today and then on August 2nd, um, Circles, was actually from an argument that my wife and I had. Um, believe it or not, um, we argue um, a lot sometimes. We argue, especially, uh, and this is crazy, nobody told me this, when you have a child, you tend to argue with your spouse more about things about your, uh, about like your child. Like, for example, um, we were arguing just because of different walks of life because uh, my son, who's at my mom's house right now, uh, the first argument started where we brought him to my mom's house and she watched him for a bit. And when we came back over, he didn't have any clothes on. He was just in a diaper. And she's like, where's his clothes? I'm like, I don't know. Does it matter? He's a child, you know? And she was like, it does matter. And I was like, why? And that was the worst question I've ever asked in my life. <laughs> and then the next time was that we went over there and he had his clothes on. And my, I FaceTimed my mom because my, my wife wanted to FaceTime and, and see him and we wanted to see our son. And uh, I was like, where's our son? And she goes, oh, he's having some fun. He's just playing. And I'm like, let me see him playing. And he was just covered in dirt, just dirt. And he was eating dirt. And then he's like, ah, just coughing dirt. And uh, he just looked like a dirt dragon, just puffing up dirt, you know. And my wife just staring daggers off the phone at me, like tell her to get him out of there. And I'm like, what's wrong with a little dirt? I eat a little dirt, you know. It goes good with hose water, you know? It's real, they really accent the earthy tones. I was I'm some kind of wine connoisseur. I was like, oh, that hose water, very, very nickel-y, very, tastes like a bunch of dimes in my mouth. I like it. Mm, it really accents the minerals. And what is, 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 that, is that DG? What is that, what is that <laughs> compost? I don't know what it was, but we were arguing a lot more. And I noticed that my wife and I, uh, I always, I, I'm so easy to look at my wife and how she fights. And I think that, She's just a big fighter. And I didn't realize that I, I might too have my own fighting stuff. My wife is very much a Rocky Balboa fighter. My wife is a fighter that once the fight has started, as that bell has rung, she is swinging until someone's going down. And you'll try to jab her on the way with something back, and it just doesn't face her. She's doing this not only for herself, for her heart, for her pride, but for Adrian. And she doesn't even know an Adrian, but she's doing it. And there's a lot of times in our arguments where I have to be like, do you really mean that? And I'm like, are you just saying that to hurt my feelings? And then she'll think about it and she'll go, I don't know. What do you think? And it's like, I don't know. And uh, she, that's the kind of fighter she is. I, though, I'm a Floyd Mayweather fighter. 
You see, I like to dance around the person a little bit, try to avoid areas I don't want to talk about, and pick my spots right. When I can get a jab in, I'll throw a jab in. I'm cool with winning by points. I'm not here for glory. I'm here for belts here. I'm here to, I come from a family where we keep wins and losses of arguments. You know, where it's like, oh yeah, like you're lying to me. I'm not lying to you. Well, remember this time when you lied to me six years ago? I actually got in a fight with my, my mom and a while ago because I try not to fight that woman as much as I can because uh, that's a real Rocky Balboa fighter. Uh, I remember giving her, uh, an ar- I gave her an argument and she brought up something I did and I was like, when did I do that, mom? And she was like, remember you did this? And I said, when I was 11? I'm 29 years old. You're holding something against me when I was 11? And she goes, Never, people never change. And I'm just like, man, this woman holds grudges. So I, I like to avoid things that I don't want to talk about. And I, I start to throw these jabs in here. And my wife says that sometimes I do this and I end up talking in circles. That I just repeat myself a bunch, repeat the points that I, that I stand firm in, ignore the parts that I don't want to address. But I'm so quick to pointing them out. And when you have a Rocky Balboa and a Floyd Mayweather... Everyone thinks, well, there's going to be a winner. But then when it comes to my marriage, is there really a winner? We, we're one person. Whenever a lot of us that are in here that got married, the two became one. It's not two fighters in a ring going out. It's one guy just punching himself in the face saying, no, I'm right. No, I'm right. At the end of it, even if I'm right or she's right, we both end up feeling like we lost. And so that's the hard thing we have to deal with as Christians people who follow Jesus. We're not called to have the best fighting style. We're called to be the best resolvers, to represent love more than fear. So in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1, Jesus says this, do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard in which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure that you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, And then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or to toss your pearls before pigs. Or they will be be trampled under their feet. They'll be turned and they will tear you to pieces. You see, the first part of conflict resolution is understanding why there's conflict in the first place. And now, you may be thinking... Well, that's, that's a really loaded question because my conflict, Joe, with my wife is different from the conflict at my work that's different with the conflict with my kids or my friends. True. That's totally true. The situations and the environments totally all change. And I could be up here for weeks at a time addressing every single person's conflict that they've ever encountered. But at the heart of it, the true narrative of your conflict is the same. And that's what I hope to accomplish here. What I've been, what I've been noticing in, in, in studying God's word is that first, that we notice before we address something in anyone else's eye, we have to first examine ourselves. 
Now, I know none of us want to hear that when we are venting to somebody and we're telling about how awful our husband is or how awful our wife is or awful our friends is or awful our mother or mother-in-laws or father-in-laws, whoever it is, the last thing we want to hear from someone when we're venting is, what could have you done better? I was so, so raised up on this and it always just made me pause and just grit my teeth. My grandmother used to tell me that all the time. She was my vent person. I would call her every time there was a problem and just try to vent because she'd always have a way to calm me down. But before I got to that, that encouragement, she'd always just give me that. What could have you done better? Examining the beam in my eye. And so the first thing we have to do is when we recognize that there's conflict, we're also recognizing that the reason why we feel a conflict towards a certain thing or a certain area or a certain cause or anything is first is because we think that that thing is unacceptable. How many of you guys have ever had to tell your children or somebody that their behavior or something was unacceptable? Or if you've experienced something unacceptable? Show of hands here. At home, you can raise your hands. I see you through technology and stuff like that. I guess not really. What if I told you that that actual actually wasn't unacceptable? It wasn't acceptable, but there was just no such thing as unacceptable. You see, we believe that our God is a God of love and that he's on the throne, amen? That God is not a reactionary God that's ever taken by surprise. You know, when, when, when COVID happens, God's not up there going like, wait, well, what's going on down there? He's aware. And so our God is not causing evil. He's incapable of that evil. But our God allows certain things to happen for the good of those who love him. And so when somebody's doing something that we find unacceptable, maybe it's just that we ourselves just having trouble accepting that. You see, as Scripture says that we, we are all many parts of a body just like the body has many parts. A lot of times when we find that things are unacceptable, it's because of the fact that we as a hand or a foot don't like how the mouth or the ears are responding to things. And we just think it's unacceptable. If I, was a, if I was an ear, I'd be doing this. And now that's not to accept the sin of someone else that's clearly abusing grace. But that we have to trust that God has something for that person. God's the judge. He's the jury. He's the executioner. He's that thing because he's perfect in it. He knows when to give mercy. He knows when to give grace. And he knows when to give judgment. But us... How are we not blinded possibly by a splinter or a whole beam of wood? So the first thing is we have to accept that God may have that person that way in this moment for a reason. And if it's attacking me so much, you have to ask the question, where is your identity? That if some people can protest on a corner and it just robs you of being a child of God first. If some people can tell you what you can and can't do, and realistically you're, you're a free person, or how to think, or what you should believe, and rather than hearing and trying to understand their side of the street, 
you feel like your side of the street's being judged and threatened, and so we just, we just go out airing all the dirty laundry in the neighborhood. It's a tough thing to start a conflict resolution by looking yourself first in the mirror and saying, where do I need to fix my, my life? You know, when I, I, like I said, I have a one-year-old son, and um, my wife and I, one of our arguments early on was, He's now, more, uh, he's now old enough to watch, like, kids' shows, you know? And one of, the first, like, one of the big arguments we had is, what kid show do you raise your kid on? And this is a big deal. We threw out right away the current kid shows because they just were just too weird. I, I, I know I'm in my 20s, and I, I'm going to hold on to that for as long as I can. And I look at these shows, and I just felt like, I don't know what's going on. There's just so many colors and lights, and then there's like weird dances from video games. So many references that I couldn't keep up with it. We tried the Peppa Pig thing, and I was like, that looks weird. There's too many weird shapes, and then it just is too fast. So then we said, okay, let's raise them on some shows that, that, um, that we grew up with. And she's like, perfect. We'll watch Disney Channel shows. And I was like, Disney Channel? Man, you got money growing up. We didn't have cable. I was growing up on PBS because it was free. <laughs> and I grew up on Sesame Street. You know, sunny days, even on clouds. And it was like, oh, cool. And she was like, what? Sesame Street? That's lame. It's Mickey Mouse. I'm like, it's Elmo's world. And it was like this big thing. And now my son watches Yo Gabba Gabba. And that's all. <laughs> and he just said, this is what I like. Um, but growing up, I, I was telling her too. She's like, well, then if not, this Disney Channel show, and it's not Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, and we'll watch this thing. And I was like, okay, well, if not Sesame Street, I was also raised with my grandma. My grandma was a big part of my life, and she uh, helped raise me as a kid. And so we watched Mr. Rogers. And so I, was, I, 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 I first hated Mr. Rogers every time it came on, because it's like, what says, as a, you know, eight-year-old boy, what says excitement more than a senior citizen putting on a nice soft sweater? and putting on house shoes. The only person I've ever seen put on house shoes was my grandma. And I never thought, those are sick. Those are the coolest thing. Now I have house shoes. <laughs> but that's only because we try to keep the floors clean for our son crawling around. He puts everything in his mouth. But I remember growing up that it was one of those shows that when I watched, I was like, ah, oh, I can't believe I'm watching this right now. But then I just slowly just invested in it. And the thing that really got me invested was just the fact of this simple request at the very beginning of the show, acknowledging that there is beauty in the world and there's blessings in the world. So would you be my neighbor? That he would start every time asking, won't you be, could you be, won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> and... We, were, we tried to watch it. My son was not as enthralled with the soft sweaters and house shoes. <laughs> he really liked the colors and stuff. But in reading this scripture, it started to make me realize that conflict resolution is a lot like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And what I mean by that, it's that the same mindset of somebody who has their home, who has their heart, in which their spirit dwells in, and despite what everyone else's home looks like, is willing and open to letting somebody be his neighbor. You see, when we examine these things, the way we act, 
I said the first thing we had to do was that we had examined the conflict in our life. And the second thing we had to do was get to why. And this is a thing that me and my wife do a lot. And I hope this is something that may help you if you're having issues with conflict, is getting to why. When something or somebody bothers you so much that you deem it unacceptable, rather than attacking that thing first, get to the why and ask yourself, why does that thing bother me so much? Have you ever had a conflict or something that somebody said or did, even in passing, and you lost sleep over it? Or maybe you, you had someone say something and you just kind of thought for the next 30 minutes at a family gathering, what does that mean, you know? I have that a lot. Um, as much as my grandma was a great, loving, God-fearing woman and such an encourager, she was the queen of the backhanded compliment. I can't tell you how many times I came to a family gathering like Christmas and Easter, and it's like she would do these things where she would tell my mom stuff like, oh, Vicky, I love how you could just wear anything. It's like, what does that mean, <laughs> you know? Or that she would tell me things It's like, oh, I like how you just, you just don't care what goes on your body, Joseph. And I'm like, okay, I, I don't know what that means. Th thank you. She's like, oh, you're welcome. And you're like, I feel like you want to fight me right now. I don't know what's happening. And that's such a hard thing to deal with. And, I, and for so many times I would think about, what does that mean? I try to defend my actions. And realistically, that's time I could have been spending loving people. We have to get to why. And getting to why is very hard because you kind of have to talk in circles. How you get to why is this. If somebody offends me and let's say... For example, one of the things that really offends me, and I hope you guys don't ever do this, and this is my one platform that I get to speak out about this. Last time I spoke, I, I'm, I'm very thankful for you guys. I spoke and I talked about how one of my biggest pet peeves was getting slapped on the back and a hug. I hate that. And I, I will tell you, statistically speaking, back slaps have gone down like 70% here, so thank you. Give yourselves a hand for that. I appreciate that. But um, one of the other things that, that really bothers me, it's a quick... Um, a quick way to get me upset and feel like something that someone's doing is unacceptable is when somebody hints at, calls me, or references that I'm lazy. And my wife, in her Rocky Balboa ways, will know that when we're about to fight, she'll throw those out there sometimes as a big swing, like, what are you even doing right now? As I'm like at my computer and I have coffee and something, I'm like, what do you mean what I'm doing? She's like, are you doing something? And as much as I want to be at peace and be like, yeah, you want to see what I'm doing? I just see red, and I'm like, what do you mean? What are you doing, you know? For me, one of my biggest pet peeves is when I'm told that I'm lazy, when I've hinted out that I'm not a hard worker, or that I don't do enough. And getting to why and examining that, that, that board in my eye is asking God, why does it make me so angry that other people think I'm lazy? And then I come up with an answer, and I go, well, it's because I kind of care what people think. And then I say, why do I care what people think? Because I feel like if, if they like me, then I have value as a person. And then I keep going until eventually you'll get down to your why. When you hear the sentence, I'm afraid of blank. For me, it gets down to if I have value, then my life matters. And if my life matters, like why do I care if my life matters? Because if my life doesn't matter, 
then I'm afraid that I don't have any purpose. See, the real issue, the real board, is that I have this insecurity in my identity in Jesus before I even reach the conflict resolution. And so I need to come to the foot of the cross and I have to tell Jesus, you know, Jesus, you died so that I could be free of this. And with this freedom that you've given me, I'm dwelling on the fact that I still feel like I don't have a purpose. And when we put things in that perspective, it changes everything. And then it helps us to understand other people, that they're in the same boat as us, and that they're on the same street as us. Just their why looks a little different. In John 3.16, looking at that scripture, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him, will not perish but have everlasting life. You've heard this verse before, maybe. Maybe not. But the thing that we have to notice about, especially when it comes to handling conflict, it's not God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in what he believes in, whoever votes this way, whoever's of this race or this gender, whoever goes to church this much, whoever dresses this way, whoever has this, this much in their bank account, this many people in their family, whoever raises their kids this way, it says whoever. Anybody can be my neighbor. And I think we, in our anger and in our conflict and in our fear, we start to lose sight of that. We forget about the whoever and we start to think, well, we have to be like-minded. But then, as that scripture continues on to say, as the body has many parts, so does the body of Christ. We can't have a bunch of people just being a bunch of hands. We'll never get anywhere. We can't have just a bunch of feet because we'll have no direction of which way we're going. We as a church need to learn this conflict resolution. You see, friends, we can be a living example of resolution in the world, in a world that desperately needs a resolution, if we can get beside ourselves, get to our why, remove the board, that way we could see clearer to see that there's such a need in people's life, and all that they really need is a neighbor. The other day, I had a really cool instance. I'm friends with... Um, a pastor, he's the lead pastor at Rockridge Church in Menifee. His name's Pastor Charles Wolf. I don't know if he'll ever watch this because he's doing the live stream right now too. But uh, me, me and Charles are really good friends and me and him connected on so many things. One being like our love for Jesus. Two, we both love wrestling. And three, we both love pizza and lifting weights. So we're just like, we're really good friends. And it's so crazy because I loved the things that he had done and I loved, um, you know, just the things, that, the things he talks about. And he made me feel really guilty a while ago. Uh, when this whole pandemic first started, I got a knock on my door and my wife went to the door and she looked through there. And as my wife typically does, she goes, someone's at the door and walks away from the door and then says, go get the door. And I'm like, why? What are you afraid is going to happen in there? And she's like, I don't know. There's two people. I've never seen them. And I'm like, oh no. Like, so then I'm like, then you're going to have me die first? That's crazy, you know? So I looked at the door and I'm like, that's Charles. And I opened the door and he's like, oh, hey. And I'm like, how do you know where I live? That's the first thing I said. I was like, how do you know where I live? It's a little creepy, dude. And he's like, I live around the corner. 
Me and my wife have been living in this house for two years now, and I've never known Charles was my neighbor. So I was like, oh, did you just move in? He goes, we've been here for three years. I was like, sick. <laughs> and I was like, well, what are you doing? He goes, well, my wife and I were going around the neighborhood, and we saw this car, and you have the baby on board. And so we went and bought a bunch of diapers and supplies, and we're just handing them out to our neighbors. And it's like, that's awesome. He's like, yeah, what are you doing? And I'm like, trying to hide the Panda Express that's on the table as my PlayStation 4 is on. I was like, same, same as you, just planning out my day, you know? And he goes, that's awesome, man. Well, I'm glad to know that you're my neighbor. And I just know that when, I talk to, when I'm talking to, to Charles, he has this great way of just being able to own his faults, and he is able to see clearly. And he showed an example of being a good neighbor. And I was like, how many of these houses have you been to? And he's like, all of them. You're the last house today. And I was like, that's amazing, you know? And it really encouraged me that, man, I, I, I got to be a better neighbor. What is blocking me from seeing these things? The first thing we need to do is we need to be open to even having neighbors. We can't just live on property. Uh, you know, that's, that's not the, the kind of plan. We did not sign up for this. Jesus did not, you know, walk this earth, die for our sins so that we could all just live completely isolated. I think that's why we've been so struggling in this quarantine. And, and at the first couple of weeks, I was loving it. But after a while, I was like, man, I miss, I miss my friends. I miss my family. We were never meant to live that way. And so we first need to be open to having neighbors of different backgrounds, different opinions, and different things. And the second thing we need to do is we need to seriously, seriously be willing to have such an identity in Christ that when others do things that we find unacceptable, they were able to act out Matthew 18, which is what we're going to cover on August 2nd. And this perfect way of actually, after we've done our homework, after we've really examined our own eyes and examined our own hearts and removed the things and got to our why and not defined them, that we're able to come to this Matthew 18 and and not be threatened by others. And lastly, to be so filled with grace to clean our side of the street. I know that looking in the mirror and acknowledging our fears of what's causing our identity crisis is a hard, hard thing. And you might think, well, then what happens next? I just, now I know that I'm not that great. And this is going to sound stupid, but it's so easy. That's why Christ died. To imagine what you would look like if you didn't have that fear. If you weren't threatened by the idea of not having a purpose, what does that Joe look like? If you weren't afraid that your family wouldn't love you for the real you, if that was gone, how would that version of you act? If you weren't afraid, if you didn't have this position in your job, about what others thought about you, or you didn't live in this area, what does that version of you look like? And just do what that person does. Because that is you. That's the you that God intended for you to be. 
That's why Christ died, so that you had the opportunity to lay those things out at the foot of the cross and not lay them out to say, God, what you did wasn't enough, but to say, God, this, what you did was so much enough that I can keep coming back to the foot of the cross and throwing my fears, throwing my conflicts, throwing my insecurities and my identity in you and saying, I just want to be a little more like you. Because being the me that I try to make myself, that's just too hard. It's too tiring. And I still lose people. And I still feel alone. And I still don't feel loved. I've been there. I know a lot of us may have been there. But that's why, lastly, it's important that we get to that point that we're so grace-filled, so willing to clean our side of the street, that when all is said and done, we could be, as Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are mine. They will know this because your love for one another, not for your answers, not for your conflict, not for how much stuff you have or how much scripture you have memorized, not by where you live, not by where you're raising your kids up. All that falls secondary to the identity you have in Jesus and the love that he has for you and your ability to be filled so much up with it that it pours out onto others. You see, we can maybe build a community, a neighborhood, and a family that speaks truth. When I gave my life to the Lord, it was because my youth pastor was there, and I remember the way that he actually led me to finally giving myself over to God it wasn't by any awesome you know, camp experience or any amazing worship song, and he came and did a really awesome prayer. I challenged him, and I told him that I didn't want to be his friend anymore because he had his own family. He didn't need to waste his time and love on some kid like me. And he laughed at me and he said, you think that I actually give you anything that's my first? And I was like, well, yeah, you spend all this time with me. You show up at my, my swim meets. You show up to my concerts and stuff in high school. And he laughed and said, everything I ever give you, Joseph, is leftover love. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, I'm so filled with the love of Jesus that I just can't hold it in, kind of like when you just eat too much in and out and you just throw it up. I just choose to throw it up on you. And I was so upset. I was like, whatever. But then he challenged me and he said, Joseph, you know it's true because all you get's left over, love. And it really broke me because I knew it was true. And where I was and where my family was and where I was going in my life, and I, he, I, he said, you know, no one's ever going to love you first, Joseph. That's just the truth. And I said, I know, I know. And he said, but one person might. Actually, I know for sure one person will. And I was like, my grandma, you know, my, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. He said, no, all of them at some point will love you second. But God will always love you first. He always loves me first and just fills me up. And then the more I see his love in me, I see it through my family, through the people, even my enemies, and I'm so filled with it. It just seems effortless to love you. You see, 
through that and examining his identity in Jesus. You can get a kid that was constantly kicked out of youth group to one day want to lead lots of kids who should be kicked out of youth group. And when you struggle as a father or a mother, you might be able to raise up some amazing fathers and mothers. When you struggle being a leader in your job or in your family or in your friend groups, you might end up being something greater or being a part of a bigger story if you're able to just resolve the conflict in yourself and clean your side of the street before going to your neighbors. We could build a better community, a better neighborhood, and a family that lives and loves in truth. So essentially, in closing, all I'm asking you guys is would you be my neighbor? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that you have died so that we could have a new identity, an identity that is one that is rooted in you, co-heirs with you, as Paul puts it, that we would get to reap the reward and you paid the ultimate price and that we can constantly come back to you and be able to say, help, help me accept the things that I cannot come to terms with today. Help me to see their side of the street and help me see where I need, God, to remove the insecurities that are in my life so I stop talking and walking and living in my own circle and start to grow my inner circle of family and friends, to start to grow the circle in which your Holy Spirit is at the center. Help us to just be more like you, even when we don't have the strength to carry on. Help us to start changing our mind, Lord, and just start to renew that mind that when things that start to come across us feel threatening to our identities or our faith or things like that, that we don't first come onto the attack and the defense, but rather to the understanding. As James puts it, to be quick, to listen, slow, to speak, May we be quick to love you, Jesus, and to show that love to others. So, Lord, I love you. These people love you. And we ask all these things in your blessed and holy name. Amen. Would you guys stand with me? If you guys don't remember anything for today, I want you to remember this. I love you. God bless, and you guys are dismissed.